Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? You are listening to The Big Cruise Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 125 of The Big Cruise Podcast. My name is Baz, I'm your host and producer, and it's with great pleasure that we bring you yet another of our weekly episodes, jam-packed full of the latest cruise news from around the world, uh, maritime history, and two great listener questions that came in via the website. Uh, again, just a reminder, if you do want to send a question or mention a cruise review, then get in touch via the website, thebigcruisepodcast.com. In the top right-hand corner, click on Join the Show and uh, send those details through to us, which is exactly what Gabby and Cy did uh, this week. But uh, I think it's uh, time we get Chris on the line. Let's get straight into episode 125. I really do hope you enjoy the show. Be sure to share the podcast on your favourite social media channels. Chris Frey, welcome back to the show, mate. Hey, Baz. Good to be back. It is. It is. It's yet another week. We are hurtling towards Christmas at the speed of uh, speed of light, and uh, you've got some exciting news, uh, uh, which we shared last week, where, where you're off on a cruise in the, the not too distant future, which we'll we'll cover off, of course, when that happens. Yeah, uh, but sure. we've uh, we've got a bit of uh, maritime history around actually your future cruise, so we'll we'll get to that in just a second. But before that, we've got two great questions that came in via the website. Um, so we encourage listeners to send them in. Uh, simply head to thebigcruisepodcast.com, top right hand corner, click on join the show. And uh, Gabby was the first one that uh, landed in my inbox. And she's uh, questioning, uh, we talked about uh, the number of guests that Carnival alone will process through the port of Miami. Um, I'm guessing Miami would be the busiest port in North America. Would would either of us happen to know which European port would be the busiest for either cruise ship numbers or cruise ship passengers? Yeah, so, I mean... um the European market is a little bit different to the to the US market in so much as it's broken into sort of multiple different countries, mm. obviously. Um, I do know that for the UK-based uh, cruises, Southampton is the busiest port. Um, it has by far the most sort of UK arrivals and departures, and mm. a lot of that comes down to not just the easy connections up to London, so therefore access to places like Heathrow and Gatwick and all the other airports there, um, but also because of the very large, very long um, pier that was built um, 
with land reclamation back in uh, the 20th century that allowed them to have so many cruise terminals in Southampton. Mm. And of course, it benefited from all the infrastructure that was put there from the ocean liner era. I think when you move across into the European market, there are sort of several different areas that, that come to mind. I mean, obviously, Italy has a very busy um, and a very big sort of cruising presence. Um, and so, you know, there's embarkation ports in um, Genoa and uh, Cittadecchia and um, also um, uh, Venice, of course, Well, which is changing a little bit now because mm-hmm. of the restrictions that are coming in around cruising in Venice. Um, and then there's uh, obviously for northern, northern Europe, um, some, of the, some of the German coastal ports as well, um, uh, access into ports like um, Hamburg, where you have to go down the River Elbe, um, that that sort of restricts the, the the growth to the level of the really close coastal ports. Mm-hmm. Um, but Barry, Barry, from your experience as a as a travel agent, um, which are the ones that you saw the most uh, sort of bookings for? Um, definitely Barcelona, and I do actually know that Barcelona is the busiest by cruise passenger numbers. Um, I think pre-COVID numbers, we were probably looking at around about 3 million cruises a year, give or take. Um, and I guess Civitavecchia wouldn't be far behind that because a lot of ships do share or alternate between Barcelona and Civitavecchia. Um, and then, of course, you've got Athens. But one that surprises me, and it's not necessarily such a big embarkation port for Australians, but it is big for, for the European market, is uh, Palma, Palma de Mallorca, oh, the yeah, Balearic okay. Islands. I think, that, I think that gets to like number three or four on the, the passenger numbers list. Yeah. You know what's interesting, though, is if you look at global port numbers for passenger numbers, and some of these numbers are sort of pre-COVID um, mm. figures, but the US holds the top three, um, all in Florida. So it's Port <laughs> Miami, Port Canaveral, and um, Port Everglades, mm-hmm. um, which is you know not, not really surprising. And a lot of that came down to the, um, the fact that when – the cruise lines, some of which we, one of which we'll be talking about a little bit later today, um, started to think about ways in which they could offer pleasure voyages without the long sea passage. Miami was so, uh, not Miami, rather, um, Florida was so well positioned um, there close to uh, the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. that when they relocated some of their ships there and started operating out of Miami and, and other um, Florida ports, they got an influx of interest because people could just get straight into the Caribbean, go straight to the islands and not have to worry about that you know, two or three day, sometimes rough sea passage out of ports like New York, which is really interesting. Mm. Um, so yes, as you say, I mean, Barcelona, um, it's got about a million more passengers pre-pandemic than even Southampton. So oh, a, wow. very, <laughs> a very busy, a very busy port. Well, I guess um, it's got five terminals. So and most of those will be used every single day of the week. Yeah, and Civita de Vecchia is, 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 is behind Barcelona, as you mentioned. Um, back in, what, 2017, I think it was, it's sort of lagging by about 500,000 visitors. So it's pretty mm. close, but, mm. but not that close. Um, and then Venice, pre, pre-changes, was seeing <laughs> it well over 1.4 um, million uh, passengers a year. But who knows what it's going to be like now because, the, of course, the large cruise ships aren't allowed to go straight into the city there anymore. Yeah, most are choosing uh, Trieste or some of the, the smaller ports a little bit further south as well. So I guess they've been spread out a little bit for, for Venice. Yeah, for sure. And Australia, I don't think even makes a top uh, top 100 <laughs> list, to be perfectly <laughs> honest, with cruising passengers. But um, here I, I would um, I, I would surmise that uh, Sydney is the, the busiest port out of the Australian ports. Oh, it would be. But that is very concentrated over a, a relatively short window, isn't it, for, for wave season? 
Yeah, for sure. But of course, then um, P&O Australia has had a, a long presence in Sydney and is now starting to spread um, that presence to, to Melbourne and to Brisbane. But yeah. we're digressing from the main question, but it's an interesting it's an interesting topic, an interesting yeah. thing to think about. And what I find fascinating is that some of the ports that um, the cruise ships that go from the US terminals to are uh, amongst the top sort of 10 busiest ports. So if you think about the departures from Miami and from other ports in Florida and they're heading sort of south to um, Mexico and to the Caribbean area. Um, mm. And then you've got the port of Cozumel and the port of Nassau. Um, yep. And then, of course, um, you know, other ports in that area, Georgetown and St. Thomas, um, they're also uh, in that sort of top percentage of, of ports. Yeah, it would be, yeah. Even Jamaica makes uh, um, number 15 in terms of its combined port presence. Brilliant. Love it. Thanks, Gabby, for that question. And uh, yeah, it's great to have a little delve into to that one. Uh, we've got another question here from Sai, And uh, this is really just, I guess, uh, some of our mm. personal uh, thoughts. So he's, uh, actually, I don't know if it's he or she, but Sai has said, uh, without too much thought, answer the below. I'm going to let you go first, Chris. Uh, favorite uh, thoughts? I've literally had no thought because you, uh, I've only just seen this just as, <laughs> as, as we started talking. I'm a little bit unprepared today. But um, look, I, I would really struggle to say favorite port. I know this is a bit of a cop out, but there's a number of different places that, that I've enjoyed. I mean, from as an Aussie, I always find um, arrivals and departures into Sydney to be absolutely superb because mm-hmm. you have that. Sydney Harbour Bridge, the iconic um, opera house there, the ship comes in, it's got the city in the background, it's just absolutely beautiful. Um, I also really enjoy Southampton from a historical point of view and sailing into New York um, back in 2019 at the end of a transatlantic crossing. That was, as a port arrival, something that I'll never forget. Just Mm. coming in, it was dark, the sun was just starting to rise, the Statue of Liberty was there, and Queen Mary too. You're, as a passenger on board, looking down towards the Statue of Liberty, whereas all mm-hmm. those passengers on the early ocean liners were looking up at it because the ship yep. is so immense. Um, it was just an unforgettable moment. <laughs> How about you? Uh, my favourite port, I think, would be Malta. Okay. Um, now, if I was choosing city, I'd definitely go with Barcelona. Um, but I think for a port, just something that I had no idea what Malta was like until mm. we were, were sailing in. And it's such an impressive harbour. It's um, all limestone, sandstone, um, almost like castle-like all the way through. It's pretty impressive um, and obviously got a lot of history uh, surrounding it. And uh, the island's got quite a lot to offer as well. So I, I really enjoyed Malta. Um, but yeah, if I had to choose a city, it would definitely be Barcelona. Um, next up, um, we were asked, what was our favourite shore excursion? Oh, wow. Yeah, so... Um- I struggle a little bit with shore excursions because uh, sometimes where I'm cruising or lecturing, I I know and been to the cities before. So we quite often do our own thing. But when it comes to like going to a place that you've never been, it's definitely a great way to to sort of see that area. So for me, my my top two would be um, uh, firstly is uh, snorkeling um, off Grand Bahama Mm -hmm. where the ships are – sort of anchored behind you so you've got this you come up and you've got this view of the ships but then you go you know do the snorkeling and then there's the reef and it's just it's just beautiful so it's kind of like this juxtaposition between the big liners or the big cruise ships that are sitting there and then the sort of nature under the water um mm. and the other one would be uh the the helicopter um trip that i did uh in the norwegian fjords which was 
remarkable and spectacular and unbeknownst to us when we were in the helicopter we were we were advised by the pilot that he was actually a stunt pilot oh wow he he proceeded to show us a few of his stunts which was quite um quite dramatic (laughs) (laughs) so it's um definitely something i'll never forget (laughs) awesome um i think i will probably go with uh an excursion that was from uh, Skagway in Alaska, mm-hmm. uh, which saw us going up the White Pass uh, Trail and over into the Yukon Territory where we did uh, a horse riding excursion. We had lunch in this beautiful um, family home, and then we went kayaking on a glacial-fed lake, uh, which I did happen to fall out of the kayak into the lake, but uh, that's not the reason that I'm choosing. It's my favorite. It was just a beautiful part of the world. Um, the autumn colors were all kind of setting in, and yeah, it was just, just really impressive scenery. Really enjoyed that. Mm. Um, but if I chose... <laughs> excuse me. <coughs> if I chose... Um, something else uh we quite often will do a cycling tour in uh, a, a town or village because uh, it's easy with the kids because they get bored of walking what a great um, idea. yeah i've done that a few times uh, particularly in europe and that that always goes down well fantastic uh next we were asked what was our favorite sea day activity uh, this is this is a weird one for me but it's actually presenting the lectures <laughs> <laughs> so i i spend a lot of time on the on cruise ships from various brands doing part of their sort of lecture program and i i just love talking about the ocean liners and the cruise ships to an audience that's interested and and get to meet and greet afterwards and generally we'll kind of end up at one of the bars or the pub after the talk just talking to people who want to share their story so um that's something it's even during the pandemic when there was no cruising i was still doing talks on land-based things but you don't get that same atmosphere so that's (laughs) definitely one of my favorite things about sea days Hmm. My C day actually it's a bit cheesy. Um, bingo. I don't play oh, bingo anywhere else in the world, other than on a cruise ship. <laughs> it's fun. We played bingo, you and I, on um, Pacific um, Explorer during our during our trip, and it was brilliant. Yeah, I have to admit though, I'm a, I do prefer traditional bingo. Some of the cruise lines now do all these weird and wonderful flamingo bingo and different things. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's always a good. And we have actually won a couple of times and uh, managed to clear our uh, account. So uh, yeah. Do you know the other one that was that, that's that's very good. Do you know the other one that was really fun on um, uh, Pacific Explorer that that um, I don't hadn't really done on cruise ships prior, but on my subsequent trips have have made an effort to do was the was the quizzes. Oh yeah, um, yeah, because they just made it like so entertaining and so fun, and with a group of friends, and they had it in the bar and the lounge there with the drinks mm. on hand, and it was just yeah, it was kind of. It was kind of cool. <laughs> it was, it was. Uh, last one. Now, you can only have one answer for this, so there's no multiple uh, answers allowed. You can only go on one cruise in 2023. Which ship, where, and why? I don't think I could choose, Baz. <laughs> 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 well, fortunately, my upcoming Norwegian cruise line trip is in 2022, so I don't have to sacrifice that one, which is great. Okay. Um, look, I mean, it would have to be, uh, if there was only one, it would be Transatlantic on the Queen Mary 2. Um, okay. And that is because that's my um, happy place, <laughs> um, and the history as well. Like the, there's there's something about the atmosphere on that ship on that passage that is utterly unique. And I've only done it once, but everyone said it would be completely different from anything you you know. I've obviously been on lots of cruise ships, on Cunard ships, lots of times, Queen Mary too, many times. But there's something about doing a direct passage which is there's something about doing a direct passage, which is like for a purpose um, and for seven days where the ship just comes alive in a way that I'd never seen before. 
Hmm, like it, like it. Oh, I'm really struggling. I don't know. I, there's so many cool ships coming out and ships mm. that have come out that I haven't sailed on. Mm. Choosing one is oh, pretty, pretty That's hard. That's why I went with one I knew, because like, how can you choose one out of all the new ones? Like, yeah. it's just, I mean, Norwegian Prima, there's, uh, the, you know, the Virgin Voyages ships just look amazing. The, the um, you know, Princess has got Majestic Princess here and she looks superb. It's Grand Princess here, which has got so much history in her as well. So I want to try that out, but you have to choose one. What's it going to be? I think I'm going to go Virgin Voyages X Australia. Okay, yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah. <laughs> I feel like yeah. my answer was a cop out. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, obviously keen to understand what the, the Virgin difference is. It's been explained a number of times, but to actually experience it will be good. And of course, the ship's coming down, so uh, it's an opportunity to do so. And yeah, so I think I'll probably try and get on that uh, towards the end of 2023. Mm, yeah, cool. you know, the other one is um, we, we, we did, uh, obviously we did the podcast from pacific encounter mm. um and uh, there's pacific uh pacific adventures also just come out as well and uh she's one that i haven't been on board yet and would really i mean okay so this is this is after the question so we're not we're not trying to <laughs> cheat here but would really love to try her out and also pando um in australia is starting um up their program of of themed trips a, a friend of mine is actually booked on a comedy cruise on um on explorer and i can't i can't join but they asked if i'd like to come along and it's, it's so tempting um and then next year um pacific um, explorer is doing this superb voyage up the uh the coast of western australia to see the solar eclipse and that looks utterly amazing so mm. um you know there's so many things even in our own backyard which um which i would love to yep. be able to experience in 2023 just goes to show there's a cruise line and a cruise ship for everybody, no matter what you're you're looking for, doesn't it? I think that's the other thing as well is that like there there is a sort of a um, you know you can fall into a habit of trying going on the same line over and over again because you're familiar with it and you enjoy it. But if you approach choosing a cruise, not just for the familiar, but also to have different experiences, then you can mm. actually enjoy multiple different cruise lines. Because I mean, if, for example, if you're have traveled with say Cunard for example and you like the formality of it you're not going to get that on some of the other brands but you will yeah. get other things like um even on you know locally on piano australia you're going to get fun and entertaining and relaxed and casual and you can just rock up whenever you feel like it and it just it's got that nice atmosphere and then you've got princess which has got all the tech which makes the experience so sort of um seamless um and then there's obviously virgin which has completely reimagined how cruising is supposed to be and then there's carnival which just own that fun space and royal caribbean mm. who puts so much effort into their ship's design um so there's so many different things you could see so i think for me my my goal for 2023 is to broaden my horizons Okay, sounds good. Awesome. Yeah. Great questions, uh, Gabby and Sai. And yeah, encourage anybody to send uh, send those through. Uh, I'm take said, a... Baz, um, before, we, before we go, so I've gone and declared my 2023 cruise goal. Um, what, what's yours? Something, something different that you've never sort of done before? Hmm. That's a bit hard for me because I've done such a variety. Like oh, I, true, I, yeah. I've done lot. small ship, big ship, river cruising. Um, uh, I haven't done true expedition but it's not that high on my radar like it's it's on my to-do list but it's not that high on i've got like i do want to go to antarctica but not this year like it's a new seaborne ship (laughs) (laughs) um i think my biggest goal will be to get 
all the extended family together on a, a big multi-gen mm. cruise at some point. That's probably the most important thing for me cruising-wise this year, just to, to catch up with everybody. And Yeah, I suppose for you as well, like just to get back to sea because you've been so busy with work and stuff. Mm. Um, you know, you've got to get, get spend more time on those ships next year. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> so uh, let's take a quick break, Chris, and then we'll be back with uh, your choice. We can either go with maritime history first or we'll jump straight into cruise news. Uh, let's do maritime history. Oh, it's Father Christmas here. <laughs> Are you on my naughty or nice list this year? Still time to change that, you know. Ho, ho, come on, Rudolph. Okay, Christian, chose maritime history. Um, your chosen topic this week is Norwegian Cruise Line. I know quite a lot about uh, modern-day Norwegian, but I don't know an awful lot about its early days, to be honest. So I'm going to throw straight over to you, and I'm going to sit and listen. Yeah, so, I mean, you might know this already, but I was quite surprised when I started doing some um, research on the early history um, of Norwegian Cruise Line that when it was founded in 1996, um, it had a Norwegian founder, but it was also co-founded by Ted Arison. Um, oh. who went on later to found Carnival Cruise Line, which I thought was quite interesting. Um, so, yes, yeah, so a 1966 um, origin. And the company started with a ship that was actually originally built as a car ferry um, that had been operating out of the UK to Gibraltar. And when they acquired her, she was renamed Sunward and um, became their first ship. And the company's original sort of origins it was under the name of Norwegian Caribbean Cruise Line, mm. so NCCL, and uh, that's when they had this sort of Norwegian style of um, service and um, ambience on board, but they were operating cruises in the Caribbean and sort of pioneered ports such as um, ports in the Bahamas, but also Ochirius in Jamaica which is an absolutely fabulous port. I've actually been there um, on, a, on a Royal Caribbean cruise, but um, it, was, it is, is a beautiful spot. Um, now, at the same sort of time, you've kind of got three main modern-day cruise lines that are forming at the same, in the same sort of period of time. There's um, Norwegian Cruise Line, there's Carnival Cruise Line from 1972, I think it is onwards, and then there is um, uh, Royal Caribbean. And the three of them start to sort of completely reimagine what cruising is supposed to be. Um, and whilst uh, Carnival went down the path of buying older ocean liners and converting them, um, Norwegian and, uh, and Royal Caribbean actually built some new smaller by today's standards, small, but by, mm. by then it was quite, quite, you know, reasonably sized cruise ships. And for, for Norwegian, this saw them um, the, create two, two ships called the Starwood and the Skyward. And here's the theme of their, their naming conventions. They had this sort of nautical maritime theme mm. in their names. Um, and they sort of built up their, their fleet. Their, these ships, by today's standards, are sort of considered probably small ship cruising, but... Um, but then they were sort of the largest kind of new-build, purpose-built cruise ships that were operating in those markets. And um, in 1977, they actually purchased um, the Cunard uh, Adventurer from Cunard Line, um, and she um, was given the name Sunward after the original ship, which mm. retired. Then 
So the company's sort of forming its its foundations. It's got these these new little cruise ships that are cruising around, and people are getting you know familiar with the idea of a pleasure voyage. And this is when you start to see ports like Miami and Fort Lauderdale and that sort of thing becoming more and more uh, popular. And mm-hmm. the cruise line started to work with airlines to bring um, passengers into those cruise ports which completely shifted the paradigm that the old ocean liner companies had had in terms of considering airlines a threat. Mm. Then we have the big moment where Norwegian becomes sort of the market leader. And they they bought in 1979 the ocean liner of France, which had been laid mm. up since being retired. Now, you know the, the France from mm. many of our conversations, uh, Baz, but she was built in 1962. She was... Um, sort of bankrolled by the French government as part of the French line, pure, true ocean liner, the longest liner in the world until the Queen Mary II came along. Um, and she'd been laid up because there was just not enough demand um, in the market. And Norwegian, they bought her and everybody, all the critics, all the analysts, the other competitors, they all, I mean, to some extent, they all thought that this was a crazy decision because she's <laughs> a thousand feet long, She's got, you know, masses amounts of space. She's got that old ocean liner interior. She's got the deep draft, all that sort of thing. But they took her to Bremerhaven in Germany and gave her an immense refurbishment. And this saw the installation of three bow thrusters. They decommissioned some of her engine mechanics so she didn't need to use as much fuel because she didn't need to go as fast as a mm-hmm. Caribbean mm-hmm. cruise ship. And in the, in a stroke of genius they actually implemented two massive tenders that were carried on her massive bow, ocean liner bow. Um, they called it Little Norway 1 and Little Norway 2. <laughs> the, sh- the ship itself was renamed Norway in honor of Norwegian Cruise Line. Um, and those those tenders could carry hundreds of people at a time. And so when she would go in and anchor off the Caribbean ports, mm. they could get the people off the ship really fast, which meant that there wasn't that like long waiting in queues and people getting all upset, which yeah. completely revolutionized that particular thing. So Norway became the flagship. She was painted in this beautiful blue color scheme and the other the other ships were sort of operating as cruise ships around her. And then in the um, throughout the 1980s, they started to look at um, further acquisitions. So they were still owned at this time by Kloster Group, which was the, the company that ran, run by their founder. Um, the, the Norwegian-based mm-hmm. uh, founder. And they acquired some ships from the Royal Viking line, which had yep. um, gone into some financial difficulties in that period of time, and then went about building more ships as well. So they built the, built the Dreamward and the Windward, uh, which have just recently been sent to scrap, actually. They, they were at their last position. They were cruising for Star Cruisers. Um, oh, they just yeah. actually arrived, sadly, at the, um, at the scrapyards. But they, so they basically were building their fleet up by building new ships and also buying ships from, from new, newish ships that were being acquired from companies that could no longer operate them. Um, and then they, they implemented a change in their naming convention in the late 90s. So um, instead of having them with this sort of windward, leeward, skyward, starward style, mm-hmm. they started to rename their ships with the word Norwegian in front. So you had Norwegian Sky, Norwegian Wind, yep. uh, then Norwegian Majesty, which was the former um, a ship that used to run for Majesty Cruise Lines, and Norwegian Dynasty um, they brought on board. And then uh, throughout the 2000s, early 2000s, um, 
the company was actually sold and was acquired by Star Cruises, which of course, as we know, was a, was part of mm. Genting. Mm. And for a brief, for a period, they actually were part of that um, that fleet, which is why we have the former superstar Leo sailing now in um, Norwegian Cruise Line as mm. um, Norwegian Spirit. And next week's topic is actually going to be a history of Norwegian Spirit because she's got a really interesting um, history of herself. Okay. Um, in 2002, they they launched uh, into the American cruising market out of Hawaii with the Project America, which we spoke about last yeah, week. Yeah, last so week. If, yeah. interested, if, if listeners are interested in that, they can listen to last week's um, uh, podcast. And in 2003, sadly, they they withdrew the Norway because there was a, um, a an unfortunate explosion in her um, in her boiler room while she was alongside in at port in the US. Um, it was actually a very tragic event that, that resulted in um, loss of life uh, from some crew members that were on board the ship. And she was pulled out of service and they, they looked at whether or not they could, they could refurbish her and get her back into service. But ultimately, she was, um, she was sent for scrap. But mm. this sort of saw a big change for Norwegian because their original founding big ship had been withdrawn. But then they started to really sort of push in um, to, to new builds and new... Um, new sort of services within Norwegian Epic, um, which was a, a very sizable new build that was kind of a clean sheet design. Um, and she was the only one in that class that was built, but it did give them a lot of sort of learnings for future classes, which include the, the breakaway class, which mm-hmm. is a pretty, pretty popular class that they've got there with many of their ships um, operating out of that particular class of ships. And then of course the, the Prima class in, um, in more recent times as well. So, one of the other things that I thought was quite interesting is that they've got a couple of ships even in their fleet today that have sort of these 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 kind of mixed uh, origins. Norwegian Spirit we'll speak about next week, I think, because mm. she's got you know quite an interesting history. But Norwegian Sky is another one that was originally under construction for Costa Cruises, um, as the planned name was Costa Olympia. But um, during the building process, they actually sold the, the ship to, to a Norwegian and she was completed with a, the same hull as Costa Victoria has, but um, a very different superstructure. So you'd never, te- you'd never know just by looking <laughs> at the ship that they're actually of a very similar, similar class. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was used for a brief period as Pride of Aloha, which again, we spoke yep, about last yep. week. So she's had an interesting, um, an interesting history. And then the other one that... Um, as I mentioned, that we did speak about last week, which has got quite an interesting background, um, is uh, Pride of America, of course, which was started as the yeah. uh, as as a ship from a completely different brand for a completely different um, sort of uh, design that they were able to upsize when they were building her for Norwegians. So there's a lot of interesting things about the brand. It's it's pushed ahead with. Um, sort of re- revolutionizing the way people cruise. They were one of the first companies to really embrace the idea of um, you having your own choice of dining on board and mm. multiple dining venues and no set seating, which I know in the late 90s, early 2000s, when they started to implement some of those changes was considered to be very revolutionary. Mm. But now, of course... Freestyle, yeah. Yeah, freestyle is what they called it. And now, of course, it's just sort of seen by many cruise lines as the way that people like to travel these days. So um, without NCL, I think... Um, the, the cruise industry would have been a, a very different place because they, they pushed the envelope in many in many respects. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, completely forgotten that Ted Arison was uh, uh, originally part of uh, the Norwegian 
start up. Um, and there's a really good book if you haven't read it. I can't remember if it's Devils on the Deep Blue Sea or Devil on the Deep Blue Sea. Mm. Um, but it talks about that period in the 90s where Royal Norwegian and Carnival Corporation were scrambling to become the, the dominant force and were buying each other out and there was mm. takeover bids and things happening all at the same time. So, uh, yeah, Actually, good, good little read. Yeah, and you've just prompted me because I forgot one of the most interesting parts of NCL's history, which is a bit <laughs> embarrassing, is that, um, so of course, in 2003, they acquired, as they're building um, NCL America, they acquired the SS United States. They bought the ship, this big ocean liner that's been laid up in Philadelphia for decades. And the idea was at the time to convert her into a modern day cruise ship, allowing her to operate in the um, out of American ports because yes, this United States was American built, so therefore mm. could, could could do that. Um, as it turns out, the ship is a very challenging project, and many companies have tried and and been unsuccessful to revive the SS United States. So later um, in, um, I think it was two thousand nine, they actually then sold. SS United States to the United States Conservatory, which still owns the ship to this day and is consistently planning to um, to work out a way in which to save her either as a static attraction or perhaps put her in for like some sort of hotel kind of use. Mm. But for that period there, um, Norwegian Cruise Line were the owners and they sort of preserved and looked after the, the ship as best they could um, while she was alongside in Philadelphia. Crystal showed a bit of interest in that ship at one point as well, didn't they? They did. They did. They they had plans to. Well, they announced plans to acquire the ship and ref, refurbish her. But as we as we know, those those plans never went anywhere. But um, I don't think that Crystal ever owned the ship. Yeah. But the Norwegian Cruise Line did. So that's wow. an interesting thing to have had on their balance sheet. <laughs> Brilliant. Great uh, bit of uh, maritime history there, Chris. Love it every week. And uh, yeah, look forward to next week's when we talk uh, about uh, the history around the, the ship that you're about to sail on, which will be great as well. Uh, let's take another short break and then let's jump uh, back in with Cruise News. Okay, Chris, uh, we got, uh, to be honest, most of the news that was popping around this week was around the success and the popularity of all the Black Friday and cyber sales. So we've removed all of that and focused on the, the true cruise news. And we're starting off with the, the great news around Silver Sea and the return of their uh, ship into the Asia-Pacific region. Yes, over a thousand days um, since they've been in this region, Baz. Um, so Silver Muse uh, is departing, or has departed rather, I should say, on an 18-day trip from Singapore down to Sydney in Australia, and that set sail on the 2nd of December, so just a few days ago. Yeah, yeah, and then when she gets down here, she'll obviously be based out of Sydney for the, the season, sailing between uh, Sydney and Auckland mostly. Of course, they have already been operating Silver Explorer um, in the, the local market up in the Kimberley, but this is the first time, I guess, a non-expedition type ship is is back uh, post-pandemic. Yeah, and, it's uh, based for Silver Muse, I should have said. Probably. Yeah, no, that's all good. And then we've, of course, got Silver Shadow, who will be coming in Sydney in January as part of the World Cruise. Of course, uh, January traditionally sees a lot of the ships on their World Cruise touching on Australian ports. So it'll be great to, to see, her, see her in town as well. Sure. Now, I love this next bit of news. There's been lots of talk around the space set. SpaceX Starlink uh, being put onto the various ships within the Royal Caribbean group, but it turns out our very own local ship, Celebrity Eclipse, is one of the first and is currently sailing between Australia and New Zealand with this great new tech. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, Starlink is obviously 
revolutionising access to communications with its satellite network and um, I think comparatively affordable sort of service compared mm. to, um, to what's sort of been available traditionally. And I think whilst it's so lovely to be on a ship and to have the opportunity to sort of disconnect a little bit, the slow, expensive internet speeds is definitely one of the um, biggest complaints <laughs> that passengers have, um, yep. particularly younger generations um, who are more used to being sort of connected at all times. So it's really great to see um, Celebrity uh, Eclipse implementing this. Um, she is on, um, as you say, on the Australian and, and New Zealand service at the moment. And uh, the first trip that they had with this service on board uh, was on the 3rd of November, which was um, mm. one of these 12-night New Zealand itineraries. So really exciting for the people who were there. And if anyone's um, been on that trip or on a subsequent trip and wants to tell us about it uh, and how the sort of technology rank, ranks, we'd be more than happy to hear from you. Absolutely, definitely. Um, so that's the third celebrity ship to have that technology. The other two that are currently have it is Celebrity Edge and Celebrity Beyond. Um, but all 15 ships will have access to this technology by the end of 2023. Now, Princess uh, have been known for the introduction of the various different fare offerings. Of course, we have Princess Plus and Princess Premier, but they have actually done some upgrades into these packages and getting additional value, I guess, for, for people that are choosing to cruise. Yeah, well, if you like desserts, there's definitely one for you because mm -hmm. um, from February onwards, um, they're going to be offering, offering a series of what they call decadent princess premium desserts. <laughs> um, and I just love the wording that Princess has got around this, these elaborate confections overflowing with gelato, pastry, and candy mixture. Um, so it will be available for the Princess Plus and Princess Premier um, guests um, in, the, uh, in some of the ships on board amenities there. Yeah, so you can book these uh, additional value from 14 December, but on sailings departing uh, after February 20 uh, in 2023. Um, up to Cunard next, Chris. Uh, Cunard is, of course, uh, getting ready to welcome the next queen. And as part of that, the 24-25 season is opening up for sale, which does actually include the full season deployment for Queen Anne. Yes, sure. So the program in total has 195 new trips. Uh, it's going to see the Cunard ships going to 90 destinations across the world. Um, and there's, as we've seen with so many of these announcements recently, there's going to be a, more of a focus on long duration visits to different ports mm. um, with a sort of a focus on ports like Reykjavik and Rotterdam and Quebec, where you really want to sort of spend time in the port to get to, get to know the local city. Um, as you say, Queen Anne, she's now set um, due to set sail on her maiden voyage on the 3rd of May 2024. Really exciting to see a, a fourth ship for the Cunard fleet and the first new build since Queen Elizabeth in 2010. Um, so it's amazing how quickly time, time passes. But um, they've announced the sort of re rescheduled inaugural season now after that delay in her construction, um, which leads off with, after the maiden voyage, a 14-night Canary Islands cruise. Um, and then there's a British Isles um, voyage that takes in both Scotland and Ireland, as well as, of course, departing um, from England and a visit to the company's founding home port of Liverpool. Of course. Yeah, we'll have to do that for sure. And what about uh, Queen Mary? What's she up to? Yeah, so as the only ocean liner left in service, uh, Queen Mary 2 is going to be sort of uh, the, the focus of the transatlantic schedule, um, something that she's been... Uh, the, the primary ship for since 2004. Uh, and then there's Queen Victoria uh, taking in the Mediterranean as, as part of her big sort of schedule. So she'll be sort of based there. And Queen Elizabeth 
won't be going back to Southampton for quite some time and in fact will be splitting her time between Alaska and then coming back down to Australia as well depending on whether it's summer or winter so yeah. um, they're going to have Cunard uh, having quite a presence in multiple different places around the world yeah, and interestingly, Queen Elizabeth's itineraries are not included in this release. They're going to be coming out uh, in a couple of months, uh, which, as you say, that includes uh, Alaska, uh, probably a little bit of Asia, and of course, I would imagine she'd be coming back to Australia too. Yeah, I think that the the thing is that um, with with Queen Elizabeth um, being based away from her home port, um, the the departure dates and the the market that she's going to be serving is a little bit different from the rest of the announcements. So they're probably um, yeah. going to going to surprise us all with something exciting in the coming months. And up to Virgin next, and uh, Virgin are celebrating uh, Thanksgiving by donating 2,023 cruise vacations to honour local healthcare heroes. Yeah, so if you were to buy these um, 2,023 voyages, Baz, it would set you back $5.9 million. Ooh. <laughs> um, so it's a, you know, it's a generous um, generous offering there for uh, from Virgin Voyages. Um, it's through the Baptist Health Network and uh, will be – for people who are primarily patient-facing um, workers who work so hard in the hospitals and all that sort of thing throughout the last few years, um, and of course, there's uh, this this particular these particular voyages, I should say, um, were will include a voyage for two in one of their sea terrace um, uh, rooms, which is a balcony cabin with, of course, the uh, the virgin touches of the full mood lighting, the rainfall showers, and the signature red hammocks there on the balcony. Brilliant. And at the same time, just this week, uh, Virgin did her float out at Fincantieri in Italy. Mm. The fourth ladyship, brilliant lady, will be coming out not too far behind uh, Ladyship 3. In fact, she's going to be entering into service in late 2023. Gosh, you know, I think in, in years to come, we might well be talking about uh, the evolution of cruising and, and Virgin's part in that because to get four ships out in such quick succession, it's pretty mm. impressive. Especially at the time of the, the what oh, they were no. doing it at. <laughs> For sure. They didn't give up, which is, which is you know, really great. <laughs> Excellent. Um, next up, we've got uh, cruise news from Costa, and this is all around cruise and golf. Now, there is a lot of information here. If you want mm. specifics, I would highly recommend you jump into the show notes. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they've just got a lot of stuff, a lot of trips and, and events planned around um, uh, golf as the theme uh, across multiple different ships. Uh, it's a bit of a mouthful. Um, so <laughs> as you say, check out the um, the show notes. But a lot of it links into um, the Costa Sameldra and the Costa, Costa Toscana's schedule. So if you're interested in mm. those two ships, definitely check out the show notes for more information. And I didn't realize Costa was the official sponsor of the Ryder Cup. Neither did I. So we're mm-hmm. learning things every day. <laughs> have, are you into golf? No, I've tried it no. once and said I'd never do it again. They used to have golf simulators on pretty much all of the ships, but it's become, it seems less and less on, on some of them now. So I guess it's, yeah. uh, you know, it's an opportunity here for Costa to sort of really scale it up for people who are that, you know, that way interested yeah exactly <laughs> yeah and uh, let's finish up the the news with the news around fred olsen winning best cruise line for no fly cruise holidays at the british travel awards yeah they must be super excited about this because fred olsen's been spending a lot of time over the last few years pre-pandemic and then also since things have reopened um ensuring that their ships are available to sail out of multiple ports throughout the uk which 
is really important because it means that people don't have to take either flights to get to their cruise ports, but also um, don't have to take long train journeys as well. Mm. So um, this is really exciting for them. Uh, and I think there's um, quite a lot of celebration going on there at Fred Olsen after getting such an accolade. Oh, yeah. Great news all around, Chris. Uh, awesome. Um, how about you? You've got a video which I'm about to share later today, actually, that uh, you put up earlier this week. What was that all about? Yeah, so it was Queen Elizabeth's return into um, into Fremantle after her circumnavigation trip. Mm. We had um, a wonderful front row um, spot on the pier to watch her come in. So have uh, recorded the entire um, arrival, and then the ship does this effortless um, 180 turn without I mean there's a tugboat standing alongside but there was no assistance at all so she just does it yeah. all by herself and we've I've sort of put that to, to some music it's, it's not a not like a not a wordy video it's just something that if you want to sit back with a coffee and just spend four minutes watching a beautiful ship entering the port with um, in high definition it's the kind of video that you'd enjoy Brilliant. And also a little quick shout out to the Port of Fremantle here. They've uh, gone from having no ships for such a long time to having uh, three ships alongside simul simultaneously, which they can do and have done many, many times before. But this week we did have, uh, of course, uh, Cunard alongside Holland America and also Oceania uh, for a, a two or three day period there. So we're yeah, all done for sure. Well. And the port looks like like all Australian ports, it just looks proper again with all the, with all the ships in there. <laughs> um, the other thing I should probably mention, Baz, and 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 um, it's for anybody who's interested in the the merch that we have for the Big Cruise podcast, but also um, my YouTube channel's got a merch mm. store as well. We're both with T Mill, mm. which. Um, They've just let us know that the last Christmas post for the UK is the 20th of December and the last one for the EU is the 5th of December. So um, details are available on both of our merch stores. There's like mm. a little red banner on the top that talks about Christmas deliveries for the rest of the world as well. Um, and uh, if um, people are interested in that, there's obviously the Big Cruise podcast um, style of merch, but from my YouTube channel, we've actually got two new ranges as well. Yeah, I saw um, that. One, yeah, um, one's a Christmas style range, so there's the the Ocean Liner logo there with some Christmassy themes around it, and the other one's a pretty cool one. I thought uh, if you enjoy puns, it's uh, Seize the Day <laughs> <laughs> um, shirt. So uh, if anyone's interested in that, or of course the Big Cruise Podcast um, uh, branded merch as well, which looks really cool. Um, you can check out either store and um, hopefully Baz can put those in the show notes as well. Yeah, absolutely. They're, all, they're always there. The links to, to T-Mill. Great, good people. Uh, as we've said before many times, uh, all organic cotton, no um, uh, plastic to use at all, and it's all done using green electricity. So they're definitely ticking all the boxes uh, in all yeah. the right areas for me. One of the things that I really like as well is that they have that um, water recycling plants mm. as well where the gray water that's used in the production of clothes is actually recycled and reused rather than bringing in new fresh sort of stuff and just yeah. wasting water um both baz and i uh we kind of struggled a little bit with the idea of merch and putting more stuff out into the world that might not be necessarily good or fast fashion and that sort of thing so when when barry actually found um found t-mill and then you look at its rankings in terms of its environmental ratings and its independent verifications and that sort of thing um it, it was the one we chose for the podcast and then and then we did the same for the for the um, youtube channel because it yep. just it stands out i think amongst the other merch options Definitely, definitely. Um, Chris, we will be speaking the same time next week, and then after that, uh, you will be uh, heading all the way over to, to Fiji, wasn't it? 
Yes, yeah, I know. It's getting really close now. Passport's already. And <laughs> um, but I'll be bringing a, a special edition um, podcast as well from Norwegian Spirit. She's just had, uh, I don't want to ruin next week's history talk, but she's just had a massive refurbishment. That means that uh, even regular travellers um, will probably not recognise the ship too much because she's been completely re- reimagined. So I'll be looking forward to... Um, I'll be looking forward to bringing you that um, in the coming weeks. And like, I know that um, you've done uh, review trips and stuff, uh, review rather um, podcasts with uh, with Emma from Emma Cruises. And I know mm-hmm. that um, Norwegian Spirit is one of her favorite ships. So it'd be interesting yeah. to see what she thinks after seeing um, seeing the refurbished interiors after I get back. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's going to be good. Very excited um, for you. Um, but we'll chat next week. We'll get another episode in the in the can before Christmas, and uh, then maybe we'll have our special edition with the with you as you uh, disembark um, on your return back into to Australia. So, uh, look forward to chatting again next week, mate. Thanks so much. Speak to you soon. That's all for today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Until next time, bon voyage. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.